First John chapter two, verse 18. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrist have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. This is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. And Father, we do thank you for your word. We pray now that as we study it and work our way through this passage, Father, that you would illuminate the meaning, Lord, give us understanding, help us to see how this applies to our life, and we pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. I've been in recent, probably weeks and months, there's been a a guy who I've been working with, uh, he is diligently studying the word. He's diligently searching. He wants to believe. He has not believed yet. Uh, his wife is a believer. And he's really going through great pains to study, to read. I've given him like all kind of books to buy. And he's really putting himself through seminary on this quest of, of coming to faith in Christ. I, I believe it's only a matter of time before he kind of jumps and makes the decision. But he's a thinker and he asks very challenging, deep questions. And one of them that he asked me recently was the question, how do I know that the books that I'm reading or the church that I decide to go to is a sound church. Because clearly there are many false teachers out there and, and many people that are teaching things that aren't in line with scripture or they're, uh, they're counterfeits that look very close. And I'm like, man, that is a great question. And I start kind of uh, explain to him, well, as you study the Bible, you'll, you'll better know because you'll, you'll know the truth and then you'll be able to spot the counterfeit. And, it, but I'm kind of answering going, I feel like I'm the guy that says, well, you can't get the job because you don't have enough experience, but you're saying, well, I want the job so I can get experience. And I'm like, well, you just have to kind of trust him. And, and I do know that in my journey to Christ, 
I grew up in the Catholic Church. Well, why did I go to the Catholic Church? I don't know. That's just because what our family did. And so then I, I went through church and I, I halfway did. The church back then was really, I did my hour on Sunday to pay back God for the whole week. Apparently, you know, <laughs> me sleeping through church. I don't know how much of a payback that was. Um, but then I joined the Navy and I went to boot camp. And that first Sunday in boot camp, they said you could go to any church service that you want. You can go to all of the church services. I'm like, well, what if we don't go to church? Well, then you're going to clean all day. I'll go to them all. And so I woke up early. I went to Catholic church. From Catholic church, I went to Protestant church. By then, it was time for lunch. This was awesome. There was no cleaning. I, I, I think I took it easy in the afternoon. And... Uh, the next Sunday came, they're like, okay, what church are you going to this week? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm going to do them all again. They're like, no, that's only the first week. You, you have to choose. You have to let us know, and then you have to stick to one. And at that point, I was like, oh, well, I've always been Catholic, but man, the Catholic church was at seven, and it was just as boring as before. And the Protestant, there was like music, and the guy talked, and it made sense, and I'm going to go to the Protestant service. And so then I went for the rest of boot camp. I went to the Protestant service. And I remember growing during that time of boot camp spiritually. And I kind of thought, well, I solved the problem. Catholic church is boring. All Protestant churches are good. I found the solution. And so then I got out of boot camp. I ended up in Virginia Beach. And I thought, well, I'm going to just stay on this road. And so I went to the base chapel. I saw Catholic services are at this time and the Protestant services are this time. And then I went to the Protestant service. I'm like, this is horrible. This is boring. This is just like all my life in the Catholic church. I'm out of here. And I never went back for many, many years. But I began to see that, well, not all churches are created the same. Not every book about God is created the same. As a as a as a pastor, uh, when I get people to say, well, I'm just going to go down to Family Christian and buy a book to read about God. It's like, well, t- you can't trust just because it's at Family Christian, just because it's produced uh, under the Christian banner doesn't mean that it's biblically sound. There's so many uh, publishers, pastors, teachers that will lead you astray, that that deviate from the word of God. And as we come to this text in this passage, what I see is a, is a 90-year-old John the Apostle who cares dearly for the church. He's the only apostle that remains that, that saw Jesus, who touched Jesus. And he saw all of the, the false teachers coming in, leading them astray. And he wants nothing more to keep them grounded, to stay in the truth, that they wouldn't wander from the truth of the gospel and the simplicity of it. And as he begins in verse 18... He says, children, it is the last hour. In John's writings, in particular today's passage, he uses phrases that aren't used anywhere else. And so then it creates great speculation. What does he mean, the last hour? Was it really the last hour? Has an hour elapsed since John wrote this? Certainly an hour has elapsed. And many people have speculated on, well, is this, a, is this a time thing he's saying or or what does he mean? And I have thoughts, 
But what I want us to kind of, I, I think the main thing, the what I understand as he is writing, I, I think what he's saying is that this is, a, this is the last chapter, prophetically speaking, as things are unfolding, we're entering this season where Christ is coming back. He's not speculating that he's setting a date in May or setting a date in whatever thing, but he's saying that the next thing to prophetically unfold, we're at the end. And he's like, children, you need my beloved ones. You need to pay attention. Don't be asleep at the wheel. He goes on to say, just as you've heard the Antichrist is coming, or this is the thing that, that tripped me up in my reading. You, you know, you study, you study, you study. This is a tongue twister. And, and then all of a sudden, when I read from the pulpit and I have like an aha moment, well, I kept inserting the Antichrist. But he says, you have heard that Antichrist, unless I'm missing a word and my eyes are failing me. And the New Americans, it, it, it just goes that the or Antichrist is coming. Where'd they hear about this? John, where'd they hear about this? You're the only one in the Bible who uses this term Antichrist. No other author uses this term Antichrist. Only John the Apostle. When did John the Apostle write his letters? He was the last to write. He wrote these in AD 90, around AD 95, some 60 years after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And he brings it up in not the Gospel of John. So he didn't mention the Antichrist in, the, in, the, in his Gospel. This is the first time he writes it. He'll bring it up again in Second John, I believe, and then in Revelation. So I started thinking, well, what's he talking about? Well, if you go through, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the Antichrist, but what I'm going to do is to give you some, some from Daniel 8, 9, Matthew 24, Revelation 13, Revelation 19, Revelation 20. Write those down. You guys can study on your own. I'm going to fly over. But in Daniel chapter 8, this is great prophecy of the, the statues and these things that come up. But it's this great destroyer is going to come. Jesus references this, this, this day of desolation in, in Matthew 24 when he starts speaking about the end times. They understood that this evil one was going to come on scene as Armageddon would develop. He mentions this in Revelation. And certainly I think that this is what he's, he's referring to, that you've heard this. Although the term Antichrist isn't used in those sections, but there's, there's this one who is anti-God and opposed to God and is God's immediate war, uh, enemy. But his focus isn't on this one, the Antichrist. He goes from there and he says, just as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now... Many antichrists have appeared. He said, well, there is the one that will be coming, but now there are many. And before we go reading in too much to the, you know, I think that we, when we start talking about the antichrist, we speak in terms of the boogeyman. That there's this really bad guy. That the hibby jibbies. But let's just take it in the, the most simplest terms. Antichrist. Opposed to Christ, against Christ, stands against Christ, wants nothing to do with Christ, rejects Christ, Antichrist. There are many of these. I think we elevate this term really high, but the reality is, is I think that 90 to 95% of the people in our world and, and, and corporations and things 
fall under the category of being the antichrist. Most universities, most schools, most whatever. If they're opposed to Christ, if they don't believe that Christ is the Messiah, which we'll get to, they would fall into this category. Now, where have they heard this before? Well, 20 years prior, one of my favorite stories found in Acts, if you'll turn there, in Acts chapter 20, Paul is heading back to Jerusalem. Paul knew that he was going to give his life for the sake of the gospel. He just didn't know when the end would come. As as a guy who is called into, into the warrior brotherhood, as one who likes sports, there are certain scenes that I love. And in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, uh, before we look at that verse, to give a little bit of a context, Paul is, is heading down. I, do I have my pointer here to go to the next slide? Yes. Can we go to the next the slide, please? <clears throat> so here's Jerusalem. Here's Israel, this little sliver here. Um, this is Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. Paul had been traveling this whole area. He knew that he was called to Jerusalem. Everybody's warning him that you're going to give your life. You're going to die there. Paul's like, I don't care if I give my life. I'm still going to go. Ephesus is a town where the apostle John wrote 1 John, 2 John, well, the gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, before he was exiled to Patmos. Uh, This is the town that Paul spent his longest period of time in. He spent two years, it's up to three years if you tally all of his time in Ephesus, training and teaching. He invested much of his efforts there. And as he is heading towards Jerusalem, he passes by Ephesus and he pulls into a port just south of there called Miletus. And so he pulls into this place and the people that he's with... You can go back to the other slide. He says, go back to Ephesus, get the elders from the churches and bring them to me. And I have this picture of Paul with these guys. And he he lets them know, listen, I fought the good fight. I've been honest with you. I've told you the truth. I've equipped you. I've prepared you. I, I want you to know that I love you. As it ends, beyond where we're going to go at the end of twenty. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to take my life. Or he believed if they take my life, they take my life. I love you guys. And they're hugging each other. They're saying goodbye. Tears are in their eyes. And it says that like Paul's heart's breaking because he knows that he's never going to. This is a beautiful picture. And then Paul in this moment, as he's huddling them up, as he's like giving them their final orders to charge and things to watch out for. In Acts 20, verse 28, he says, Be on guard yourselves and for all the flock. Watch yourselves. You as elders, take care of your your theological position, your relationship with Christ. Watch yourself and your flock. Take care of your people among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. To shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. This is the, the shepherd, the guard. You think of, I think of sheep dogs. I've been hanging out with a lot of canine officers and to watch these shepherd dogs, they're amazing animals, amazing. And in their, their truest working sense, they, they protect the flock. And if wolves come in, they, they go after the wolves to keep the flock safe. 
And Paul's saying, you treat the church of God, though you need to take care of yourself, take care of them. Watch out for outsiders. He purchased it with his own blood. Jesus gave his life for his church. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in amongst you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw to draw away the disciples after them. So these guys are going to come in. They're going to bubble up. They're going to be a part of you. Then they're going to start teaching heresies. They're going to start leading people away from the grace of the gospel, from the person of Christ. They're going to introduce things that are destructive to people spiritually. And it's up to you to protect them. Verse 31, the command, therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. I corrected you with tears in my eyes. I loved you. Correcting somebody's not easy. It's not fun. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance amongst those who are sanctified. Paul says, you've got to follow my example. Guard them because there are evil ones. Antichrists are going to surface and steer people away. And the church in Ephesus did a good job. They did a great job guarding doctrine, protecting the truth of the things. John writes, listen, you know the truth. This is, he writes 20 years ahead. How do they still know? Because Paul instructed these men to guard. But then later when Paul, when John writes Revelation, in Revelation chapter 2, verse, the first five verses, we're not going to go there. As he's out on Patmos and he gets this revelation from Christ, he says, to the church in Ephesus. Well, let's go there. I didn't think we we're going to go there. My, my Bible memory only goes so far. <laughs> it gets dangerous when I start. So in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, he says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right. So, so suddenly John gets this revelation. Tell the church over Ephesus, this, this church in Ephesus, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, say this. I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. And have not grown weary. Beautiful. That at the end that God comes and says, you guys have done a good job. You've persevered. You've walked. You've, you've held to the biblical truths. I love that when we read Ephesians, it's not a correction letter. It's this letter of health. But then the, the discipline, which I could go on a tangent. But verse 4, the, the one thing that they missed. But... I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds that you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. So there's, they held doctrinal purity. They, they made sure that what was being taught was correct. But as they were doing the church stuff, they departed from Jesus, this relationship. And he says, I, uh, you did a great job, but don't forget about me. Going back to 1 John, we're close here. I don't want to get 
So on a tangent, but but Ephesians, they knew the church in Ephesus. They guarded the doctrine. Paul prepared them. He equipped them. They walked. And John, as he looks to this church or the churches in this area, he recognizes that antichrists have appeared. And he says, from this, we know we're at the last hour again, that we know that this this is supposed to happen. Prophecy tells that that these People are going to rise from within the church and take us away. It's everywhere. It's still happening today. And, and as a pastor of a church, as I look over us, we need to take great warning in this. We need to equip our children as we launch them off into schools, into the workplace. There is a battle going on and we need to be grounded from what you watch on TV to, to your workplace, there's subtle things that are going against God. It's everywhere. And he says, this we know is the last hour. Peter, in chapter 3, verse 9, or 3 through 9, we, won't, we don't have to read it. But he says in the end, as Peter, as the church is being destroyed some 20 years before also. He says, people are going to start mocking because we say that we're in the final hour. People are going to say, where is this end times? When's it going to start? When's your Messiah coming back? Surely it's not happening. And he says, for the Lord, a thousand years is but a day and a day is but a thousand years. That God is outside of time. But then the key verse that always grips me is verse 9. Why is God delaying? Why is he slow from our perspective in returning? And we're told there in verse 9 because he desires all people to come to faith in Christ. That he's patient with us. I love that song that we say. Well, I get tears in my eyes when I think of the Lord's patience even in my own life. It's so good that I'm not God. I would have kicked me back to the woodshed and have a beat down on me so fast. But, but to see God's patience with humanity... He's so patient with us because his love for us is so great. He says, this is how we know it's the last hour. Don't be surprised that these antichrists have come up. Then he goes on to say, they, these antichrists, they went out from us. What? Now, this causes all sort of debate. And I think that in all of the debates trying to figure out the, what does he mean? That they went out from us. Who, who's the us? I think all apply. That one... From the apostolic teaching that there were there were guys that were a part of the apostolic ministry that were a part of that founding church that they saw Jesus they walked with him and yet they deviated started teaching heresies teaching things that weren't true about Christ there in every church you'll see people that rise up from within that that deviate that that steer away and depart from the truths found in scripture. Jesus in Matthew 7, verse 21, he says, in the last day, many of you will come up to me and said, Lord, but didn't we, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we do healings? Didn't we do this? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. He talks about, he gives the parable of the wheat and the tares, that there's going to be this sorting out in the last day. It shocks me. Like when you look at church history. And even today, this is an area as a pastor, when we start standing for truths in a culture where there is, where truth is not an absolute, what works for you works for you. And what works for me works for me. 
But if you're what works for you is the Bible and you start saying, well, the Bible warns of these things and we're to defend these truths. And if that means speaking out about certain religions, I'm not even talking politically. I'm just saying within the church from this pulpit that there are groups like the Jehovah's Witnesses who leaves tracks on our doorsteps still. It cracks me up, when, they, but they don't want to talk to me. Like, well, you guys came to the church. I'm a pastor. Let's talk. No, I don't want to. That's fine. I just want to give you some literature. The, the, the Latter-day Saints, Christian science. We start, see, these words, wait, Gunner, from the pulpit, you can't, how can, who are you to talk against these people and what they believe? Because isn't it okay? You know, I love all those people. They're great people. I'd love to have them as neighbors. But when we're talking about theological truths and when we start talking about history, all of these groups were born out of the mid-1800s. And when they were born up, they rejected the Orthodox Church. The, this, we don't agree with what the church is teaching about the Bible. We don't believe that Jesus is truly God. Some would say that he's not truly God. Others would say, well, we believe that he was man that became God. And then you can become God just like he became God following his example. There's some major theological differences. And they were the ones who basically cut against Orthodox Church. And the thing that strikes me about these warnings is it's not these like atheists. They have their war, but they're not basically like recruiting from from Christian groups. But a lot of these pseudo or these these sort of um, counterfeit religions, they take a lot of the truth and they they'll even redefine words that we'll use like grace. And yeah, Jesus is the Christ and we believe this. But when you start defining and digging deeper, you'll find that their understanding is far different and far more destructive. And he says that they went out from us, that they were a part of us. But they were not really of us. They might have walked the walk. They might have talked the talk. But it turns out that the truth they had wasn't the same. And I can't tell you how painful it is when you have a dear friend. And I've had dear friends that I thought we're brothers in Christ and we love each other. We profess the same things. And then as life unfolds, they, they get on this road that takes them somewhere to where it's like we don't know the same Jesus we, you don't know the Jesus. You don't profess the Jesus that's revealed in scriptures. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. So as they departed, as they left the teaching, as they left the true church. And this isn't just like, hey, you go to a church and you have to relocate. So you have to find a new church. That, that doesn't make you the Antichrist. If, if like for whatever reason, like he's talking about that there's this major aha God's revealed something new to me apart from this. Joseph Smith, this angel appeared to me. You need to now come to me. And, and we're going to look at this to, to kind of confirm that he's talking about the same thing. He said, but as he departed, that confirmed that they really didn't know the truth. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. As they departed theologically, as they left, this is the thing that revealed and when i study i recognize it's a slippery slope i try to i study the word and I, I i try to come to the bible without looking at other stuff first 
I'll go through, I'll make my observations, and I'll, I'll kind of, this is what I think it means, just from the plain reading of the text. And then I'll, I'll study other men over history that have studied the same text. And then I hope I fall kind of within their parameter. And if, if I ever fall outside of their parameter, it's like, okay, that's like a yellow flag for me because I don't, I don't know that I necessarily want to be, you know, the, the renegade kind of going down a road. Like, so there's great caution because God has used and like used many great minds to record sound doctrine over the years. And he says that as they departed, they're not really of us. He goes on to say in verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you all know, I've not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is of the truth. See, this is where we're getting to the whole, this one guy had this special revelation. This other guy, still to this day, the Mormon church, they wait once a year and their current prophet, he's the one who steps forth and reveals what God has revealed to him. It doesn't matter what's in the scripture. It doesn't matter if what he says contradicts orthodoxy over all the years. This is a dangerous, but we, he's the anointed when we follow him. It may be the Pope. It may be whoever, Mary, ba- ba- Mary Baker Eddy, who founder of the Christian Science Church, who said, if you just, I figured out how you can never sin, and if you never sin, you'll never die. You can visit her grave today. There's still a seat for her in the church in New England. And if you go there and you start asking them about the resurrection, they won't go there. Well, you, we don't want to talk about that. And I'm not saying this to be harsh or to, to condemn the people in this group. I say this from a shepherd's heart of people who have been led astray from the word of God. And he says, you don't, you have the anointing of the spirit. He'll guide you. He's anointed you. He's given you his word. He'll lead you. You, you don't need me to teach. Although God has given teachers and pastors to teach. But I'm, you know, it's been said, Alistair Begg says all the time. The best of men are men at best. And so I can misspeak. I can say something that's inaccurate. And I love nothing more than when somebody after the service says, hey, Gunnar, you know that word is actually, this is the definition. I say, oh, thank you so much for letting me know I was wrong. Oh, Snoop says that. Well, okay, I guess I was wrong about that. I'm not perfect. And see, we have anointing. We study the word. We hold each other accountable. Because we want to stay true to what he's revealed to us. There's a quote I stumbled across. You know, that John is so black and white. And notice in verse 21, I've written to you. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And no lie is of the truth. I love his black and white. This is a tongue twister passage. He's very clear. There is truth. There are lies. And Spurgeon said this, which I thought was really good. A lie can travel halfway around the world while truth is still putting on its shoes, which is so true. And he said, no, there is truth and we need to hold to truth and not back down from truth. As you study, as you reason with people, if your goal is truth, it changes how you talk with people. It changes how you spar if i can use that word with those that are of different theological face 
or or even within Christian circles, my my dear reformed brothers that I love. I love sitting down over coffee with just about anybody. <laughs> but then if you put in like a theological discussion or my Lutheran brothers over like infant baptism. See, the issue is if we're going for truth, it changes how we reason and, and debate. See, I don't ever I, I try. I should I should star this statement. I try, I attempt that when I'm in theological discussions that it's not to prove right because it's not about Gunner's thoughts. If I argue to that I want to win, then I'm in a whole lot of danger and I have to keep my heart in track. I'm discussing because I want to know what the truth is. And if somebody's able to show me from scripture a solid point that conflicts with my understanding, I'm totally okay to humble myself and say, you know what, you have a very good point. Let me pray about this. Let me do further study. And I've changed. I've had theological shifts as, as I've allowed scripture to adjust my positions. But if you're proving to be right, if you find yourself that you're defending a man, a system of a man's theology, that's dangerous ground. I'll never forget the seminary class I had. I don't even remember what the class was, but a lot, half the time seminary was the, the most growth happened. Well, obviously, when you're studying the Bible, like homework. But then in class, like uh, in between lectures, there was always kind of the margin discussions, discussions that didn't necessarily have to do with the, the subject at hand, but were very practical. And there was a guy, Dr. Lubinow, who was a bright, bright man, he, he, like a science background. He, he did scientific work kind of with evol- against evolution and the age of the earth. And, and when he spoke, it was like you just sort of listened. And, and he studied all different systems of theology and false teachings. And one of the students said, Dr. Lubinow, is there like a book that I could study that would help me to become a master in understanding like uh, the, the Latter-day Saints Church or knowing Jehovah's Witness? And his answer to him was, is if you want to understand and be the greatest apologist against the cults, what you need to do is master your understanding of grace. And if you understand grace and what Jesus has done and from the word, you'll know right away because all cults, all groups that depart from, from biblical teaching, where they depart from is who is Jesus and what he did. Jesus is the jugular vein. Meaning that if you sever the jugular vein, you're pretty much dead. Like that's like a major, you know, it's bad. And so Jesus is the litmus test. And if you understand God's grace, that Jesus paid it all, and that by faith in him, that's where salvation comes from, then that will shed light on any group that you're talking with. It doesn't matter. You don't need to study all the different groups. What you need to do is master. And like, ha that's important. And see, from here, no lies of the truth. Verse 22, who is the liar? But the one that denies Jesus is the Christ. See, in our culture, we think Jesus Christ. Oh, it's just like Gunnar Hansen. It's his first name and his last name. But these two words, Jesus Christ, that's the litmus test. Because Jesus was his name, Joshua in the Old Testament, Savior. Or is it God amongst us? I always, that's, no, that's it, Emmanuel, right? And God with us. But Jesus. Then Christ, 
is Greek for the Messiah. That he's the promised one that was to deliver. He is our all in all. He is everything. And what are they saying about Jesus? Well, whoever denies the son, whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ does not have the father. You can't have the father without Jesus. You can't say, well, I believe in God. We live in a very spiritual generation. It's okay to say, I believe in God. It's okay to say, I pray. But you say, I pray in Jesus's name, or I believe Jesus is God. Suddenly, time out, you've crossed boundaries that you're not allowed to cross. And he makes it very clear. If you don't have Christ, you don't have the father. And then he flips it. He says, um, if okay, he who denies the son doesn't have the father, the one who confesses the son has the father also. And here, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. He says, as for you, let that abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. Kind of this reference. He keeps going back to the beginning. Speaking of Jesus in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word basically goes down and the word was God. In John, first John, he says, what was from the beginning, what we heard, what we've seen with our eyes, what we've looked at, which we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And this life was manifest and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the father and manifested to us. He says, we saw him, we walked with him, we touched him, we groped him as a blind person who can't see that they see with their hands. That's what we did to Jesus. We, we, we groped him. We heard him. We followed him. He was real. And that's what we proclaim to you so that you may have fellowship with us. He says what you've heard from the beginning that Jesus is eternal. God always existed in eternity past. When he was born, when his incarnation happened, as we prepare for Christmas, but we got to get through Thanksgiving first. I can't go through Costco with Anna right now because she gets irate because the Christmas trees are up. It's just not right. Let's get through Christmas. I mean, get through Thanksgiving. But when he was born, that's not when he came into existence. We need to see uh, Jesus's life to see the gospel. John is a big you that Jesus is in heaven in eternity. He comes down to earth. He lives his 30 years and then he goes back up to heaven to where he came from. He is the eternal one. As for you, that which you've heard from the beginning, verse 24, if what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the son and in the father. This is the promise which he himself made to us. So he made us this promise there in the Lord's Supper. Jesus that Lord's Supper had a profound impact on the Apostle John's life. And I believe this because when he writes his gospel, a quarter of his gospel is dedicated to the Lord's Supper. And this promise that he says, eternal life. John fourteen six, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's Jesus who excluded himself from all other systems. He says this eternal life that we have eternal can't lose it. And if you can lose it, it's not very eternal, is it? That would be a temporary experience. If we turn our pages a little bit more where John's going in these next few verses, like as we start wrapping up John, as we start 
landing it over the fall. I, I like next week's my favorite passage in this. But as he works towards chapter five, verse eleven, you know this promise, this eternal life. He says in five eleven, and this test, and the testimony is this: that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son does not have the life. It doesn't get any clearer than that. We might not like what it says, but the Bible is clear in what it says. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God that you may know you have eternal life that's how we know there's assurance here and as john writes to them these words he wants us to know that eternal life is found in christ you don't have to go to one that has the bible code that can unlock the secrets of how you can truly know god the main things are the plain things and the plain things are the main things christ is the messiah Believing in him is life. Guard yourselves from the wolves that are going to come. It says these things in verse 26. I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. There are those that are actively trying to steer you away from the truth. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you and you have no need for anyone to teach you. Ephesians 1.13 says that when you believe that you're sealed in the spirit... That the spirit comes, that you're anointed by the spirit, that you, that the spirit then will guide you and teach you and instruct you. And he says, find your instruction there. But his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, just as he has taught you abide in him. So this is when, when I find out that somebody's moving away or I get an email from somebody that I don't even know. And they say, I'm looking for a church. I'll go through great pains To try to find a church that teaches the Bible, that loves the Lord, that where where the pastor's spirit led to where he'll teach them the word so that they can grow in their walk. If people move away here, let me help you find a church. Oh, you're going to college. Let me try to find because it's so easy to be led away. There are people. The Antichrist is has his little guys all out trying to steer us away. There's nothing more dangerous than to be steered away by a counterfeit. Whenever I go to Spain, this is a place where a lot of these groups are are moving and and relationships that that Anna's dad, while he was there, that they, they trusted him. They were deceived by cults for a long time, but they heard of him through a radio program or something. They're still like they're afraid to get plugged into a church because they were so deceived already. And so then, out of fear of not wanting to be deceived again, they basically shut themselves down. And they don't participate in church. And we need to be careful. Hebrews tells us, clear, don't, don't forsake the fellowship of the saints. We need to be together. We need to be learning and growing and walking with one another. And he says, let the Spirit teach you. And when I look at this passage, John wants us to abide in him. If we were to continue from this, my, one of my favorite verses is verse 28. Uh, just a little primer to next week. 
He says, now little children abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. Talk about eternal life. Who are the ones that are shrinking away? The ones that aren't abiding in him, those who have trusted in Christ, but are not walking with him. And I want nothing more than when the Lord appears that I jump right into his arms and say, here I am, Lord. But I'm afraid I'll be caught in that moment when I'm in a fight with my wife or I'm kicking a can or I'm doing something. And then he appears. It's like, oh, (laughs) and he'll reach down. Because my salvation isn't contingent on my actions. It's contingent on the cross. Jesus paid it all. My my eternal salvation is secured by his life and his death on the cross. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. This is where the jugular vein, they'll say, you need to do this and this and this and this. And hopefully, when you die, your good outweighs your bad. The people who say that don't have an understanding of how bad they are. They have no clue how bad their bad is in light of God's holiness. Or maybe the the reverse is true, that they have no clue how holy God is. I don't want to be counting on my own good works when when I stand before him. Thankful that I know that guy, Jesus. And that he can stand the test. That he faces the Father as our advocate, as 1 John 2, 2 says. There is so much deception out there. We, we need to be awake at the wheel. We need to be in the word. We need to be growing. We need to be walking with him. The most important question today is, do you have the son? Have you believed? And for a lot of us, we're nodding our heads right now saying Yes. Then our warning, if you've said yes, is, is the same warning that's given to the church in Ephesus. Don't depart from your first love. Stay close to him. In him, there's security. There's peace. And Father, we do thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the truth which you've revealed to us. Lord, I thank you for this dear man the apostle whom Jesus loved, this young guy who was so f- filled with zest and, and, and uh, passion. Lord, to see your hand in his life over the course of his 90 years, to see him matured, Lord, gives me great hope. Father, we pray that you would give us clarity in the truth. Father, help us to have a clear understanding of what The gospel is that grace means grace. That when Jesus went to the cross and died, he did it according to the scriptures. That he paid it in full. That our salvation is not based on our works. Father, we pray that you would help us, Lord, to know you more intimately, that we would have this koinonia, this fellowship that John wants us to have. Father, give us a great under, greater understanding of your holiness. That we would love the Savior with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our strength, Lord. Father, guard us from the deception that's out there. Lord, give us critical minds that, that think and filter what we watch on TV. 
the things we hear about you, Lord. Help us to know the truth. We love you, Father. We pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.